0: Welcome, and thanks for listening to the New Life Christian Ministries podcast. If you'd like more information about New Life or for more podcasts and other media, go to newlifexn.org. Thank you for coming out and joining us this morning here at New Life. Uh, I know my drive was hazardous this morning, and it has only continued to snow, so I'm sure that many of your rides and drives are hazardous as well. And uh, if you're a first-time guest here this morning, thank you so much for coming out and joining us. I mean, wow. I mean, not only to visit a new church, but to visit a new church on a day uh, when most people would be like, eh. I think I'm gonna skip this week. Uh, that that's awesome. So thank you for being here. If you're a first time guest, man, that's that's great. Thank you for being here. Thank you for coming to join us. Um, we prayed for you. Uh, We've been preparing for you to be here. We're excited that you came out to join us this morning. And uh, My name is Mark Lutz. I'm one of the directors of youth ministry here at New Life. Uh, I work with middle schoolers, 6th, 7th, and 8th graders, and uh, I also work uh, with leadership development on our team. Um, I work alongside Alex DeRosa, who's here this morning. He's our uh, other director of student ministry, Um, and he works with 9th, 10th, 11th, and 12th graders, and he works with youth worship. And It's it's a real blessing to be able to be here this morning with you and participate in this Series um, called The Armor of God. It's been an awesome series. It kicked off a couple of weeks ago. Um, Pastor Chris started it by talking about the belt of truth, and he uh, really opened up the Word of God in the beginning of the passage that all of these messages are, are based around and drawn from. Um, and he really talked about some of the, the, the demons, the, the real true evils of this world that we are faced with um, in a world that generally we can't see, we don't know what's happening. And uh, after that, then Pastor uh, Brad came uh, last weekend and talked about the breastplate of righteousness. And if you missed either of those messages, I would just encourage you to go to newlifexn.org. It's super easy to navigate, not like your typical church website. Uh, Click watch and listen, and you can watch the first two messages of this series and get caught up to date. Uh, on what's going on there. Um, This morning I'm going to be talking about the the feet or the boots um, that carry with it the the gospel of peace. I am really excited to be able to talk about that, and we have this awesome stuff, uh, and so awesome props to uh, Pastor Brad French, our our pastor of worship and media arts, and also Aaron Henley, uh, who does a lot of our stage design, because they've just done really awesome jobs. The shoes were there last night. They are now here. Oh yeah, you can clap for them. They're awesome. They're awesome. They did a really phenomenal job. And... uh, each, uh, each message in this series is based off the same passage of scripture. It's in uh, the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, verses 10 through 17. And I'm just going to read those uh, real quickly here this morning and get us all on the same page. It says this, starting in verse 10. If you have a Bible app, you can open that on your phone. Or uh, maybe you actually brought a real Bible with you. That would be unheard of. But you might have it. I didn't. I have this. So uh, uh, here, in Ephesians 6, chapter 10. It says this. A final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor, so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor, so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then, after the battle, you will be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news, so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet, and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Pray with me. Father God, I thank you for this morning and this opportunity that we have to be here. I pray that you would use me. Someone very imperfect. I pray where I have deficits, Lord, that you will be enough. pray this in your name. Amen. So as we look at the word of God this morning, we begin to look at this passage that talks about the armor of God. Something I realized as I began to read it. And it talks about spiritual warfare and battles unseen. And we talked two weeks ago about how some of those things are not just words, but they're literal Demons, literal demons that we fight against in a world unseen. And that that was in uh, the Belt of Truth uh, message two weeks ago. And as I begin to look at those things and I read them, man, I have difficulty with those things. I have difficulty with those things because I have difficulty it's, it's just one of those passages right where you read it and you you know it like we know as Christians even if you're not a Christian, sometimes we know that there is a God, we have knowledge of that and maybe even the knowledge that there is a devil hopefully if you're Christian, the knowledge that there is a devil a place called hell, a place called heaven and that in some way we know that there's this spiritual battle going on around us. Something that we can't see but we know it's happening because the Bible teaches it my issue is for me I know those things but I'm recognizing now that there's a difference between knowing those things and believing those things there's a difference between knowing those things and believing those things Let, let me unpack that real quick for example I know that if I do not work out all winter that the next spring when I go to sprint across my yard I will be winded and want to vomit that I know that is going to happen Okay? I know that if that if I do not work out and I continue to eat boxes of Cheez-Its at midnight, that in the springtime, when I go out to ride my bicycle, that I will be just racked with abdominal pain and I'll be sucking breath. I won't be able to breathe. I know those things, but if I believed them, I would do something about them. Yet I don't believe them. So still I find it very, very difficult to work out over the winter. And I still buy lots of boxes of Cheez-Its. I just live on them. Cheez-It lunch, I call it sometimes. It's when I don't have anything else to eat and I eat a box of Cheez-Its for lunch. What a great lunch. Nutritious. Mm. Uh, And, you know, this goes into other areas of my life, well, where I know something but I don't believe it. Because like, I know for a fact that if I do not pay attention to my wife and, and we don't spend time together and I don't focus on our marriage, that our marriage will suffer and the two of us will grow more distant. Yet still, when a new video game comes out for Xbox One that I really like or the new most addicting iPad or iPhone game comes out or a new uh, Nintendo DS game comes out that I'm really into, I can still, that can draw my undivided attention for days, sometimes even weeks, depending on how good and how long the game is. I know that it won't help the most important relationship in my life outside of my relationship with Jesus. It doesn't help that relationship either, by the way. Because when you want to be praying and then you end up playing Shadow of Mordor for three hours, that's an issue. Okay, But but it hurts my relationship with my wife because I'm drawn to those things in all of my free time instead of being drawn to my relationship with her. I know those things. Yet if I truly believed those things, it would look differently in my life because knowledge requires knowledge, whereas belief requires knowledge and action requires transformation. And when I look at this passage, sometimes it's just easy to sort of like imagine the armor of God like, oh, this is a really nice thing and I really like it when it's inscribed and and framed next to a picture of a cheesy looking knight and then I can hang it on my wall. And then it's easy to hear this passage and to know it's true, but not to believe it. Therefore, I'm able to neatly pack it and tuck it away inside my brain right next to the Sunday school stories that, if we're honest, we all have trouble believing from time to time. And so it's it's easy to know these things, that there are battles going on around us, but it becomes very difficult at times to believe it and to be transformed by the truth of it. And that brings us to our take-home point for today. Our take-home point is the one point that we want you to take home with you and live out in the coming week. And it's not something, and for me also, to live out in the coming week. It's not something that uh, is going to make sense right now, but it will when we get to the end. It says this, God doesn't make a plan B. And we are plan A. God does not make a plan B. And we are plan A. So I want to tell you a couple of stories uh, real quickly um, from my life that, that really made this gospel uh, of peace, uh, the, these feet, this part of the armor of God very real. Um, I, me and my friends really like to do bicycling, and we got into long-distance bicycling several years ago, and so um, we got into riding from uh, Pittsburgh down to Ohio Pile and back. As we'd get on our bikes, we'd ride 70 mi- 75 miles down. We would camp. We'd get up the next morning, get on our bikes, and ride 75 miles back. And so we got into training for things like that, and one year we decided that we were going to do this over Labor Day weekend, so we got on our bikes on a Friday, Um, everyone took off work, we biked down to Ohio Powell State Park, and this time we hiked our bikes up the hill into Ohio Powell State Park, and uh, we camped um, Friday night, and then we hung out Saturday, and we camped Saturday night, then we got on our bikes to ride back home on Sunday. And this particular time being, we decided we were going to stay a day in between to rest our legs. Some of us who were crazy decided that we would also like to go whitewater rafting while we were there. It was a Saturday. It was over Labor Day weekend. The Ohio pile was packed, but we wanted to go whitewater rafting. And so we scheduled for whitewater rafting, and we had a couple of people, one individual from the church who also came down. They um, drove vehicles down. They packed all of our camping gear in their vehicles. That way we didn't have to carry it all on our bikes this year. And uh, we got down there and Saturday rolled around and we woke up, and I do hammock camping whenever I go bicycling, so woke up from my hammock and uh, we got ready to go and went down uh, to where we were gathering to go whitewater rafting. We got on this little smelly bus and we went up to the launch site and At this point in time, I had been rafting once before as a child, and when you take a child whitewater rafting, you're not actually taking him whitewater rafting, you're just putting him in a raft and pushing him down the water. Um, Because you just don't take a kid down something that dangerous, generally speaking. And so as a young child, I did whitewater raft, but I whitewater rafted the middle yacht, which is the safest and the most calmest section of whitewater rafting that Ohio Powell offers. This time, we were doing the lower yacht, which wasn't the hardest, but it was next to the hardest of the whitewater rafting that that they offered at Ohio Pile. And so I got there, and I was really confident about it up to that point. And then I began to realize that you lock yourself into a raft with your legs, and you also swim with your legs. And I had biked 75 miles with my legs. And so my legs were not fit to either swim or lock myself into a raft so I didn't fall out of it. And so I was really, I, was, I got really nervous. I got really nervous. I was rafting with two other guys that really hadn't been rafting before. And so when we got out of the bus, um, they said, hey, go ahead and choose your guide. And I had a friend, Zach, who was with me. He was with another group of friends in another raft. He was really cocky because he had white rider rafted three or four times. And so he was, like, confident. You know, he's that guy who just gives you tips on stuff that he doesn't really know enough about. Like, he was an avid whitewater rafter for his entire life. Like, he's been rafting 600 times. He's gone three times. He's telling me everything about it. Like, you don't know anything about it, man. So anyway, so we, Zach, I hope you watch this. Um, So we get Zach, and he he goes and gets his guys. I got my three guys. I immediately went, and I just latched to the largest guide that I could find. And we'll call him Frank. I think that was his name, actually. So Frank was a short guy, but what he lacked in height, he really made up for in muscle mass and attitude. Um, This guy was just incredible. Uh, We began to learn his story um, as we began to do some practice stuff with whitewater rafting. Found out that he makes a living. Uh, off of whitewater rafting and whitewater kayaking. He actually has has kayaked and, and rafted in a handful of different countries. He spends his life traveling from one place to the next as their season for whitewater rafting is in and leads trips. And in between, he kayaks and does his own rafting. Uh, And then in addition to that, uh, he's been killed twice, drowned to death, and resuscitated, brought back to life, which is nuts. And on more occasions than that, his kayak flipped over, and he got his head or his body lodged in between rocks. And uh, just before he went unconscious, someone flipped him back over. The guy was nuts. And I felt great being inside of his raft because I knew this guy knew what the heck he was doing. And if there was someone that was going to get me safely through the river and not drown, despite the fact that he had drowned twice, it was this guy. This guy was going to get me there safely. So we get in the raft, and he gives us some basic instructions, and he starts barking instructions at us, and then he tells us that we're both the lead and the backup raft. And what that meant was uh, he was the veteran of the group out of all the guides, so we took all of the water, the the, the, the rapids first and the river changes all the time um, but he had he had done this guided trip hundreds of times and so we would go down first and we get down there and get to a safe place in the water and we would bust out these little bags with rope in case someone fell out of the raft and we would throw it to them to catch them. And reel them back in, and, and so they wouldn't get hurt or you know go on down the river. And so we started doing that. And it was amazing, man. With this guy's instruction, we felt like we were just really advanced whitewater conquerors. I mean, we were awesome. Um, We could do anything. Man, we did this surfing thing where you get up behind a waterfall and you sort of like surf with your raft. And and the only time we fell out was the time he purposefully knocked us all out of the raft so we could get to experience what it was like to be in ice cold water and get smashed off of rocks. Super fun, Frank. Um, And so uh, it, it was awesome, though. We felt really, really confident with our guide because he knew what was going to be happening. He knew what to expect, and he gave us very precise instructions on doing those things. My friend Zach, not as lucky, Um, he chose a guide as well. It was a young girl. It was her first year leading tours. And what she lacked in the ability of experience, in the area of experience, she lacked even more in the area of leadership. She had no clue how to lead people. She gave them a bunch of half-baked instructions, and then she just yelled commands that she didn't tell anybody what they meant on their way down the river. And the result could not have made me any happier. Um, Zach took several unintended swims. Um, On multiple occasions, he got knocked out of his raft, including his entire team and his guide. It was awesome. I got to reel him in like three times with the rope. Made me feel so good about myself. Um, But here's the thing. Zach chose the wrong guide right? He had a choice in guides. He chose the wrong guide. This girl would just be up on the top of the raft and she's just shouting random instructions and then then backtracking. I don't want you to do that. And then she would shout at one person. And eventually it was hilarious because we would get to a safe place of water. We look back to watch the other rafts coming through. And here comes Zach's raft through. And as soon as it approaches the rapid, everybody from Zach's raft grabs their oars, throws it to the center of the raft, curls up in the fetal position and falls into the center of the raft in hopes that when they get through the rapid, they will still be in the raft. And it would just like spin and smash off of rocks. They would get stuck up on rocks, and people had to go back and pull them off. (laughs) It was awesome to watch. Um, Luckily, none of them were hurt, mind you. Luckily, none of them were hurt. But, you know, Zach's experience and my experience were very, very different experiences. And there's no, there's really a lot of different examples that we can draw from that to talk about leadership and what leadership really is. But what I really want to focus on is what happened after the rafting trip. As we got done with the rafting trip, we were going down uh, the the really... This beautiful section of river, really calm after the rapids. You have about three miles until you pull your rafts out of the water. And we had talked to our tour guide, Frank, the entire way down, and we were learning about him and his life and his near death experiences and his daughters and uh, his divorce, everything. We had learned a lot about this guy. And it had become very clear to me and apparently to everyone else in our boat as well that Frank was probably not a Christian. It could have been the amount of times that he swore at us and we were strangers. Every time we would make a mistake, he swore at us. Every time we weren't paddling hard enough, he swore at us. Every time he wanted to swear at us, he swore at us. I did not mind being sworn at though because he was keeping me alive. So it did not bother me one bit. So we get down there with Frank. He was just the coolest dude, right? And so we're talking to him about the times that he died and the times that he almost died. And we're talking to him about his family. And the question that was in all of our heads that only one of us was brave enough to ask then came out of the one guy's mouth in our raft. And he said, Frank, what do you think happens after you're dead? I mean, he really led us into that, right? He talked about dying over and over again what do you think happens after you're dead? At that moment, I immediately spun around because I knew we were about to talk about Jesus. And despite the fact that I work with middle schoolers and it's a big portion of my job to talk to middle schoolers about Jesus and what he's done for them, and I'm very good at that in a situation like this, in one-on-one conversations, specifically with people my age or older, I really, really hate conversations about Jesus. Now understand, it doesn't mean that I don't have them, because I do, because I'm a Christian. My Lord, not just my Savior, is Jesus Christ, so I tell people about him. But man, I really hate those type of conversations. I would rather do this any day of the week. And so we immediately enter one of those awkward conversations. I knew Jesus was about to come into it, so I spun around, fixed my eyes forward, away from the two people having the conversation, and shut my mouth. And quit talking. And I was just sort of like waiting out the storm. And so they continued to talk, and, uh, and the, the guy that was with me continued to tell Frank about Jesus and about the saving grace that he offers. And at the end of the trip, we got done with it. Uh, Frank didn't accept Jesus that day. Um, there was no like magical rays of light that came down from heaven and shined upon our raft or anything like that. Frank is probably still the man today that he was. He believed very strongly in what he believed. When asked, what what happens when you die, Frank's, Quite literally, he said, you just go to the ground, and you if, it, quite literally you would push up daisies if someone was so kind as to plant them on top of your dead body. Um, that that's what he believed. You believe there is nothing, and he lived in such a way that it showed that. I mean, he lived in a, a doing something that he loved, despite the fact that he had tried to kill him, and most likely would kill him, and quite possibly very soon. And that's just the way that this individual lived. And so when we got done, his life wasn't changed. But I will tell you this. He knew two things. The first thing he knew was the individual that was behind me talking to him about Jesus believed something. And he knew that he believed what he claimed to believe. And the next thing he knew was this. That if I believed the same thing as this guy, if I claimed to believe it, that he would have reason to doubt if I really believed it or not. And we got done with our rafting trip and we went and we pulled our rafts out of the water and that passage in scripture came to my mind that says, if you disown me before man, I will disown you before my Father in heaven. And that was heavy for me. Much heavier than pulling the raft out of the water. And I prayed for forgiveness and I repented. Asked God to forgive me. Then a couple of weeks ago, I was meeting with another leader and we were going and hanging out and uh at eaton park and as we were leaving i saw that the person who was signing people out had a new life pen and uh, i said oh that's a pen from our church let me see that and uh, he thought i was accusing him of stealing um and so he immediately tried to give it to me like yeah how dare you take my church pen um but but he, i was not accusing him of stealing so i was like oh no 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 man and i backed off because i was like awkward awkward conversation potential don't want to be stuck in that Weird. I I already have been too aggressive. I accused this poor individual of stealing, so I just backed off. Then the guy who was with me said, hey man, do you go to church somewhere? And that's another really good sign that an awkward conversation about Jesus is afoot. So I immediately started thinking, how can I get out of this conversation? I looked down at the ground. The bathroom was right here at Eaton Park. I thought, could I fake an emergency bathroom thing? Like, I must go, and I must go now. And probably not, because I had just come from the bathroom. So I'm like, that is not a viable option. I could act like my phone's ringing, but also that would look stupid and they would not believe me. So, and then that, that thing, that, that time on the Ohio Powell River at the end of our rafting trip flashed into my mind. And I decided that's not how I'm going to live. So I picked my head up and we began having a conversation with this guy. And, and through me and my leader, a potential new leader talking to him, we found out that, he was 21 years old, and he didn't go to church. His family had brought him up in the church, but his family had quit going to church, and so he didn't go to church anywhere, but not only that, he lived in Saxenburg. He knew about our church. He knew where it was. Um, I told him all about it, and, uh, and he actually had dropped off one of our leaders here on several occasions when, were, when the car was broken down. He was friends with one of my leaders, and we got this really great opportunity to have this awesome conversation with him and invite him to church, and I'll say this. I don't think he's ever been to church. But I'll say this, when we left that place in Eaton Park, I, I know two, two things. One, he knew that the leader that I was talking to truly believed what he said that he believed. And he knew that I believed what I said I believed. And that brings us back to our take-home point. God does not make plan Bs. And we are his plan A. We, you, are his plan A. The church, the people of the church, are his plan A. And there's no place that that's more clear than in the book of Matthew in chapter 28. The passage should be up here on the screen. It says this, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age we talk about the gospel of peace that is part of the armor of God, we like to think that the armor of God, not only do we really know it, but we don't believe it, but we like to think that it has to do with reading our Bible and praying often and going to church and knowing Jesus as our Savior, but we don't want to think about the gospel because we know that the gospel requires action because the feet that are the gospel of peace require us to be God's plan A and carry forth his mission that's here on earth, which is the good news, the story of his son, Jesus. Jesus Christ of Nazareth, a Mason's son who grew up in a war-torn country at the crossroads of the world. He lived a perfect life, taught amazing things. He was followed by fishermen, thieves, prostitutes, and drunks. He walked on water. He raised people from the dead. He was murdered on a cross for the evil of the world and rose again offering a clueless creation, desperate for reconciliation, a chance at new life. My prayer for you today is that you would know that you are God's plan A. And that God does not make plan B's. That God has one set of instructions and one plan in place for the restoration of the world. For people to know love and peace. For darkness to be shattered and for brokenness to be healed. He has one plan for those things. And it is you. You are God's plan A. Because God does not make plan B's. He is not starting over. He has created human beings in their sinfulness to be reconciled to him through the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. And then to carry that story of peace, peace between man and man, and peace between man and God, through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ, to the ends of the earth, making disciples of all nations. And my hope and my prayer for you is that you would realize this morning, and not just know, but that you would believe That you are God's plan A. And that God does not make plan B's. In fact, that's our commitment for today. Our commitment for today is this. I will act as though I am truly plan A this week. And I like that, but after writing the sermon, I changed it to this. I will believe, because believe, remember, requires both knowledge and action. It is transformation. I will believe I am truly God's plan A this week. Pray with me. Father, I thank you for this time that we have together this morning. Lord, I I pray against the snow and I pray for warmth and I ask you, Lord, that you would touch hearts in this room that we would all know more fully, myself included, that you do not make plan B and Lord, that you have made us plan A. Amen.